Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a republic if you can keep it. Political news and commentary with Mark Brewer and Jeff Timmer. I'm Mark Brewer. Welcome to the SpeakerCon edition of A Republic and You Can Keep It. Another week, another remarkable week in national and state politics. The Michigan presidential primary is Tuesday. Biden and Trump will win, but both may be hurt in the process. Vice President Harris campaigned again in Michigan this week in West Michigan, where she was surrounded by Governor Whitmer, Senator Stabenow, and Congresswoman Hillary Scolton, all women. And the focus was on reproductive rights and issued catapulted back into the debate by Trump's declaration that he supports a national ban and by an insane ruling from a court in Alabama that may criminalize surrogate parents. I'm Jeff Timmer. The latest Michigan polling shows that the presidential and U.S. Senate races are cliffhangers today. We'll talk with pollster Bernie Porn of Epic MRA about those numbers. The Biden campaign goes into full attack mode, focusing on many batshit crazy things coming out of the mouths of Trump and his congressional stooges. The president has canceled another $1.2 billion in student loan debts. In Michigan, there's a major development in campaign finance reform, which was spurred by longtime uh, Republican strategist Bob LeBrant, as well as my esteemed co-host Mark Brewer. Let's begin with you, Mark, and, and that uh, uh, ruling or charges announced this week. Attorney General Dana Nessel announced the indictment of two Republican fundraisers as a direct result of the campaign finance complaint filed now years ago by our friend Bob LeBrand and you. Uh, do tell us what's going on here. Thanks, Jeff. First, a shout out to you. You were a key witness in this case. And we appreciate that. Your role has not got as much publicity as it is due. Yeah. Former Republican Senate leader Mike Shirky embarked on one of the boldest, biggest dark money schemes in the history of the state, where he funneled millions of dollars through two social welfare organizations, 501c4s, which don't have to disclose their donors. He told contributors, give your money to these two C4s, and then I'm going to move that money to a ballot question committee that was seeking to roll back emergency powers of the governor. This is in complete defiance of our campaign finance laws, which say you've got to disclose people who contribute to ballot questions. And so with um, Bob LeBrand in the lead, your assistant, I was glad to play the lawyer, we filed a campaign finance complaint several years ago. And that stonewalled by Shirky and his people, ultimately referred to the attorney general. And this week, finally, uh, she announced some indictments of two of the fundraisers who were working for Shirky and telling these donors, this is the way to funnel your money and keep it secret. But Shirky's hands are all over this. The report put out by the attorney general this week indicated he directed this. He was telling people, this is the way to keep your donations secret. I personally am disappointed uh, that he has not yet been held accountable criminally in this regard. But setting that aside, 
this is still a great victory for transparency and hopefully sends a message that this kind of behavior has got to stop. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, a lot of this has been focused on the Republican side the last decade or so because they've been in charge of the legislature of access to these kinds of funds. But nobody should be doing this. We need a lot more transparency. So a good victory for transparency in Michigan politics and hopefully it starts to put an end to some of this abuse. Yeah, I think it's a, a fairly groundbreaking development in campaign finance and transparency, actually showing some teeth in the Michigan Campaign Finance Act. The Elections Bureau has been loath to take any kind of serious action until now Jocelyn Benson, the Democratic Secretary of State, referred th this matter over to the Attorney General's office for a criminal investigation, which was a big step. Now, th the announcement of charges aren't convictions, but the charges are out there. And I think it's going to have a chilling effect on this practice of hiding money, moving it into C4s, and then moving it into ballot question committees so that the donors don't have to be exposed. I've heard through some sources that the, the back that's underway to overturn the Renewable Energy Act law from last fall, that they had intended to do exactly what was done here to hide the origin of the money coming from sources like the oil industry and coal and gas, uh, who have long fought re the expansion of renewable energy. And so this is certainly going to cause groups and companies political operatives looking to initiate what are schemes to hide what the law demands be exposed and, and transparent, and that's who gives the money. This doesn't curb the ability of people to give money to ballot question committees or candidates or anything else. It just means that when you do, you have to be, it has to be disclosed and, and people have the right to look at that and evaluate that yeah, when deciding on how they're going to vote. And so I think that uh, this is a big step uh, in, in making Michigan uh, the, uh, a, a sunshine state when it comes to uh, how money is spent. I'm, I, I've never been one to advocate uh, attempts to curtail money in politics. I, I believe that is anti-freedom, that people can use their money how they want to influence the outcome of elections. They just need to disclose that. I think. Yeah, I think it's great that the two people that have been indicted here are staff people, basically, who worked for Shirky. And this is a good signal to them is, look, you're not immune just because you took orders from the boss, right? If you break the law or help to break the law, you're going to be held accountable. Hopefully, ultimately, Shirky and people like him will be held accountable as well. But I think it does send a powerful uh, message. Kudos to the Secretary of State. There's not much they can do is, Jeff, we can't think financially. They don't have subpoena power. They have a limited ability to investigate. But Benson and her staff refused to be stonewalled by Shirky and his people either. And when they were stonewalled, they sent it to the attorney general, who does have the power to investigate. And I'd urge folks, our listeners, to read the document. There's something called an investigative affidavit, which details the interviews that, that uh, Nestle staff did. And it's blatantly clear that this was this illegal scheme was going on. Evidence after evidence, it's just overwhelming. And I'm glad it's finally come to light. Last piece here, we want to know the identity of the donors because we also now need to send a message to these 78 secret donors and other donors out there. You're not going to get away with this. You cannot give money secretly. 
Enough said about that. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> Thanks for talking about this. I want to turn it back to you, though, because it now looks like perhaps within 10 days, they might have dueling conventions in the Michigan Republican Party. There's this ongoing court case in Pitt County over control of the party. The RNC is jumping in the mix. Lots of stuff going on, Jeff. Give us your take on and your analysis on all this. Many of our listeners might be familiar with the Monty Python movie, Life of Brian. And then there, there was the uh, uh, battle going on between the, the Judean People's Front and the People's Front of Judea. Um, what the difference was between the groups, only they knew. And only they knew. And so that's what's going on here with the Republican Party. We have one sect of crazy mega Trump zealots fighting another sect of crazy Trump mega zealots. This battle, no matter what happens with the RNC, has recognized the Pete Hookstra faction. Donald Trump, for what it's worth, has recognized the Pete Hookstra faction. The Christina Caramo faction still holds the claim to the legal entity, Michigan Republican Party, the bank accounts and everything else that comes with that. That's being sorted out in courts. However, it, it's decided, adjudicated in the courts or with the organizations is going to continue. The, the fight between the crazies is going to continue through Election Day and beyond. It's not. It's going to hamper Republican efforts. It's going to hamper statewide campaigns, legislative campaigns, the ability of Republicans to raise money. Um, the, the whole thing is, is just in, insane and crazy, but it has been for years now. And this is now par for the course. These The insane crazies are the, the overwhelming majority of the Republican Party. There's, this isn't a fight between the new mega Trump populists and the old guard John Engler, Rick Snyder, Gerald Ford, Bill Milliken Republican Party. That's gone. That's dead. And that's not coming back. This is a, a fight to which crazy faction is going to lead the pack of jackals into the future. <laughs> that's what we're that's what we're looking at here. And so, yeah, I think this is going to be uh, very interesting to watch uh, as these two conventions play out. That's just a microcosm of the discord and craziness within the Republican Party. Who shows up? How many people are at these conventions? I think Christina Caramo was trying to flex her muscle. A little bit by saying, let's hold the convention in the same place and let them decide who the chair is. Let's let the attendees. She knows she's got the numbers on her side, the grassroots support. Pete Hookstra has a much smaller uh, uh, segment of the party that would support and, and uh, back him. So I just think this is going to keep up. It's the gift that keeps on giving if you're a Democrat to running in Michigan. Well, Jeff, if the lawyers were the judge ever listened to our podcast, my suggestion would be similar to that. Call a state convention under the court's supervision. <laughs> let people vote for the Democratic way, with a small D, with a small D. Let people vote and let that resolve it. I volunteer to be an election monitor <laughs> at that convention uh, to ensure that things are run fairly. Yeah, it, it, it's terrible to see this kind of thing happen in terms of a party and particularly have it resolved in a court in a battle over expert witnesses on parliamentary procedure. Let's do this the old-fashioned and correct way. Let the people be in the Republican Party, whoever they are, Jeff, and they can make this decision. But I doubt well, it's going to listen to me. Yeah. S speak might be too much. S some can communicate in, in language, but most, there's a good segment that communicates with kind of hoots and grunts and kind of resounding sound sounds from the thorax. So that's, that's what shows up at the Republican Party conventions today. Mark, we saw the Alabama Supreme Court take this assault on freedoms when it comes to 
people's lives, their family choice, their reproductive choices, a step further to the extreme this week? And how do you think that's going to affect the overall narrative outside of Alabama? I, you know, I think it, it could become a national issue now that this Alabama court has said, if you destroy uh, unused uh, embryos in a surrogacy situation, IVF situation, uh, that could be a crime. That's just devastating. I see already in Alabama, they have stopped. Many surrogacy institutions and clinics have stopped providing that service. Potential parents and others have got to be petrified by this. And this one really hurts, I think, in terms of, because this affects people across the political spectrum. Just uh, for many people, there's nothing more important in their lives than having a family. And if they can't, and they're denied the ability to do it through surrogates, it's just devastating emotionally and otherwise. And I think this could be a big issue because we're now seeing what happens when things like Roe v. Wade are overturned and you have real zealots on this issue in charge. Holster Bernie Porn from Epic MRA brings us the latest numbers after these messages on A Republic, if you can keep it. Epic MRA is pleased to sponsor this podcast. Epic MRA is a Lansing-based market research and public opinion polling firm with nearly four decades of experience measuring public opinion about politics, ballot proposals, and public policy issues. Our clients include media outlets, school districts, colleges and universities, all levels of state and local government, and membership organizations. For the November 2022 election, Epic MRA published the most accurate final pre-election poll among several state and national polling firms. Our polls most closely predicted the actual election results in races for governor, secretary of state, and attorney general, as well as the three ballot proposals. Epic MRA is clearly the go-to polling firm in Michigan. Visit www.epicmra.com to learn more. Ben Franklin may have invented the Franklin stove to stay warm, but we go Ben one better. We have the Ben Franklin hoodie dedicated to Americans for sanity. But wait, there's more. Our merch store has coffee mugs for Democrats, uncrazy Republicans and free-thinking independents, as well as t-shirts for the discerning democracy lover. Just click on the Merch Center link on our homepage, arepublicpodcast.com. Show your support for political sanity at the podcast merch store. It's your duty as an American. Joining the podcast is polling guru Bernie Porn from Epic MRA, who has just released the latest data on what Michigan voters are thinking. And as you might have noticed from the commercial break, we are very proud that his firm is one of our sponsors. Welcome, Bernie Porn. I'm just going to turn it over to you. Tell us what your latest findings are regarding the elections in Michigan. Let's uh, start with some of the key things. Uh, 66% say that uh, the country is off on the wrong track, which is almost as high as uh, what the uh, national numbers show. And uh, President Biden's favorable numbers are at 38% favorable, 54% unfavorable. And uh, for the second time in a row, Donald Trump's favorable rating is actually higher then Biden's at 40% favorable, 54% unfavorables. And uh, at the same time, you've got Gretchen Whitmer with a 53% favorable 
rating in Michigan. And on job rating, uh, this is worse news for the president. 67% to give him a negative job rating yes. uh, with 31% of positive rating. And again, at the same time, you've got Kramer uh, at 53% positive job rating. And it is an unusual for both favorability and job ratings to be in lockstep. And that has been the case for the last three or four surveys that we've done in Michigan's. And we asked a question differently about Michigan's economy. We asked about whether or not over the next several months it will improve or get worse. And at least as more people saying it will improve than saying it will get worse, 29 to 23%, but 42% said that it's going to remain about the same. And in the matchup with Biden and Trump, we have Trump leading Biden 45 to 41%. And if you look at the partisan breakdown, that includes 85% of Democrats voting for Biden, 86% of Republicans voting for Trump, and among that, the all-important independent vote, 38 to 31% uh, support uh, Trump over Biden, with 31% undecided. So that's where the vast majority of the undecided uh, vote is, well, which is uh, 14%. Let me also mention that in the U.S. Senate race, Blockton leads Rogers. 39 to 38%, notwithstanding the, the fact that uh, Slotkin is still unknown to Michigan voters by 50%, and uh, Rogers is unknown by 61%. And we asked questions about Trump. Do you think that former President Trump committed a crime by urging his supporters to try uh, to overturn the results of the 2020 election? 50 to 42% said yes, he committed a crime. Former President Trump is facing several indictments where he has been charged with committing crimes. You think that Donald Trump will be convicted of a crime in one or more of those trials? 46 to 43% said that yes, he will. Overwhelming belief among Democrats, but slightly more say he won't be among independent voters. And Republicans say overwhelmingly that he will not. And now, if in fact he is convicted of a crime before the election, we asked to revote on the presidential matchup and that goes to a 44 to 44% tie in Michigan. If he's convicted, it still is a dead even race. And I, I do not think the Democrats should assume that there's going to be a conviction before the election because Trump is doing everything again, as you all know, to try and delay and everything else that he can do to try and avoid that. We also asked if former President Trump was convicted of a crime, of one or more crimes, do you think that he should be sentenced to serve time in jail? 56% said that, the, yes, he should serve time in, in jails. And the most important question in this survey is we asked about the Israelis-Hamas uh, war and uh, whether or not uh, uh, there should be a ceasefire to provide humanitarian aid and also to negotiate for the release of the hostages. 53% said that, the, that Israel should declare a ceasefire, negotiate for the release of hostages, provide humanitarian aid. 27% said continue the war against Hamas. It's 20% undecided. And among Democrats, 74% say have a ceasefire. And I think that this is creating a problem not only among Arab Americans with the President Biden, but also among all Democrats. You've got a solid majority in them. A solid majority also of independents saying that there should be a ceasefire. And we didn't define whether it should be permanent 
or uh, temporary. And uh, it's interesting to note that uh, the Biden administration is pushing a UN resolution that would fall for a ceasefire and, and providing uh, humanitarian aid as well as negotiating for uh, hostage release. He is going and the administration is going farther and farther in, in terms of criticizing Netanyahu. And according to what we're seeing in terms of democratic opinions, that is something that will benefit him. However, I'm not sure that he would ever demand that the war end because I think that would be a bridge too far for him to take with Israel and the Netanyahu. But clearly, people are in favor of, of a ceasefire, and that is strong among Democrats. And pro-choice, pro-life, you've got 8% consistently uh, saying they're pro-choice. And if, in fact, uh, abortion is as uh, much of an issue in the 2024 election as I believe it will be, uh, that uh, is pretty much where it was at when all the abortion uh, uh, proposal three passed in the uh, election. And we also asked uh, questions about uh, the pharmaceutical uh, board, a prescription drug affordability board, and a 75% majority said that they agree with that uh, to have it uh, passed uh, before the summer recess. And we asked whether or not if their legislator, senator or, or state representative voted against this, whether they would be more or less likely to support them in the, in the election. 56%, which is a very high number, said they would be less likely to support uh, their legislator, if in fact they vo voted against the pharmacy uh, uh, affordability uh, board. And so that should be an issue that maybe Democrats uh, should look at uh, and should pursue. And in a nutshell, that is what we found. There will be other results that questions that were purchased by clients that will be released over the coming days, especially next week. Yeah, Bernie, thank you for that. You gave us a lot to unpack. We could spend hours talking about what you just said, but let's get at it. And you touched on this a little bit, these wrong track and poor job performance numbers assessing Biden. Do you think there's an influence there of what's going on with the war against Hamas, the ceasefire numbers? Can you tease out how much of that effect you think there is? I, I think it's significant. And I believe that the more that President Biden moves toward urging a ceasefire, to provide humanitarian aid. And what a lot of his critics are forgetting is that were it not for the Biden administration and, and Tony Blinken, there would not have been, I think, the ceasefires that have already been called for and the release of hostages and the humanitarian aid going in. Biden urged letting 20 trucks in, and now they're doing like 150 or more trucks per day. And that doesn't nearly cover what is happening in terms of the pain and suffering of Palestinians in Gaza. Biden and his administration have been doing an enormous amount behind the scene that has not gotten much as any publicity at all in terms of trying to deal with the situation. And as a result, he doesn't get credit for it because it is all behind the scenes and doing what, what he thinks is necessary. There's a couple other demographic items that I forgot to mention, and that is among African-Americans, 68, only 68% are voting for Biden. And that's a far cry from the 90% that he got in 2020. But it is up from the 62% support that he had in our November survey. Also in November, right about the time that Biden came in to join the striking workers and Trump came to a non-union area 
plan to, to criticize electric vehicles. The union support in November was narrowly for Trump by about eight points. And now it's by six points among union members supportive of Biden. So the UAW endorsement has held, but still not nearly what President Biden needs in terms of union support. It should be in the 60% neighborhood and it is not there yet. But those are two of the demographic areas. Women are not as supportive of Biden as they need to be. It's only about a six-point lead, while it's about an eight-point lead uh, for uh, Trump over Biden among men. And so uh, that's another area where Biden is underperforming. Ferdy, you gave us so much data there. And I was thinking as I was listening to you talk about the job approvals and favorability of both Biden and Trump and the ballot tests and the ballot, the reballot after the asking the questions about convictions. And my initial question is, what the hell is wrong with people? It's really hard to figure out how to understand this electorate because these these results that we're seeing just are defy reality as we know it politically and understand what to do if you're a political professional and you're looking at this. How do you say? How do we unpack this in a in a way that can point us toward victory in this insane world where after convictions, you know, one to overthrow the government and seize power the election is tied. Yeah. <laughs> How do we proceed in this climate? When you look at the courtroom battles that Trump is facing, your magnet group, as he once said, that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, I think, and they'd still vote for him. To a certain extent, that seems to be true. However, he is slipping a little bit among Republicans, especially if he is convicted. Uh, that does drop uh, somewhat uh, among Republicans, but he controls the Republican Party in, in Michigan, and, and they are in disarray. And there, there's a Hamas war that I think that the more that Biden can move toward trying to have a ceasefire and be supportive of trying to provide humanitarian aid, that will help him. But he's never going to be able to take a position to drop support for Israel or, say, end the war. He can't go that far. The other thing that he is doing is on electric vehicles. I think that is something that union workers were concerned about and the law concerned about the loss of jobs. I think that the Biden administration, they have to talk about the transition and that even though there may be fewer jobs required to create an electric vehicle to build one, there's still more jobs. Uh, if in fact, uh, there's a, a, a stress uh, on uh, building more electric vehicles to, uh, in the long term, uh, but also there will be jobs filled in uh, battery plants and other means that I think the Biden administration needs to do a better job of explaining that. And they're also backing off a little bit on EVs, as well as some of the automakers. They're saying that they want to stress more hybrids because not enough people are buying. We did a survey not long ago for an electric utility, and 27% said that over the next five years, they'd buy a electric vehicle. But 56% said, no, we're not going to do that. And the reason stated was too expensive, not enough charging stations, and not enough mileage. And one reporter told me that a trip that would have taken six hours in a gas-powered vehicle took 11 hours because it took so long to wait for just charging their car and then the time to charge the car, and it would only go so far before they had to charge it again. 
So these are things that technology will solve a lot of those problems, but that is something that the people are supportive of, but they're not willing to buy them yet. Yeah, my, my colleague, my friend and colleague at the Lincoln Project, Stuart Stevens, who's been involved in more presidential campaigns than anybody alive, I think, the last seven or eight presidential campaigns as a senior strategist, he has a take on this, and I want your opinion. He says, if the election becomes a referendum on Biden, Joe Biden will lose. If it becomes a referendum on Donald Trump, will lose. Is it really that simple? I think they have to compare and contrast. But one ad that I would be running right now is that Trump has made just as many mistakes in terms of verbal faux pas as Biden has ever done. And just over the last few days, he's made mistakes. He, he urged people to vote in November in the primary. Just a lot of verbal mistakes, and they need to show that. The problem is that Joe Biden looks 81 years old. Donald Trump does not look 81 years old, and Biden speaks in a way that is not as smooth and as, as comfortable as Trump is in his speaking style. And so that's something that, you know, and unless Biden can find the fountain of youth that Ponce de Leon to search for, he's not going to be able to address the age issue. But they can contrast with the mistakes of Trump, showing that he's almost as old and he's made just as many mistakes as, as Biden. But the other things he needs to, they need to do is address these other issues where Biden is out of step with mostly Democratic voters. Yeah. Another take that has been put on this is uh, in the media's, I guess, built into their DNA to present fair and balanced and both sides of issues that every day we're hearing dozens of things that Trump does, says, positions he's taken that are extreme and crazy, that there's just so many, you can't even keep track of them. And in contrast, the complaint against Biden is that Biden's old, that he's old every, in every, it's Biden's old. And then on the other side, it's Trump doing X, Y, Z, A, B, C, one, two, three. It's this deluge of stuff. There's so much that no one thing sticks but the message is always Biden's old. And that seems to drive through. Yeah, there's not anything that Biden or his administration or his campaign are going to be able to change about that. But they need to have people, and I think people on the street saying, yeah, I voted for Trump before, but I've come to realize that the guy's crazy. The things that he, he proposes and the things that he has done, I don't want to risk that. And uh, if on foreign policy, if all foreign leaders are scared of of, of the potential of a Trump presidency again, and people should be concerned about democracy. And that is something that has shown up in polling as an issue that can be of benefit to Biden. And I think that if you want to end democracy in the United States way, Joe, Donald Trump is your man. And he's a dictator wannabe. And I would even go so far as to say, if he were alive and had been president during the 30s, would he have uh, supported what uh, the United States did in terms of uh, dealing with Hitler uh, uh, or would he have supported Hitler? There's a lot of reason to believe that he is a Putin-Hitler wannabe. And I think that they need to strengthen their language. And the other thing that I think is important is that there are a lot of Putin puppets in the United States Congress. Speaker Johnson is one of them. And the Republicans by refusing to support Ukraine aid, they are a Putin puppet, and they should be attacked as being a Putin puppet and supporting Russia, just like Donald Trump is. 
And those are, that's an area that I think should be surveyed and tested by some of Biden's pollsters that I think could be effective in terms of dealing with Trump. Without being a Pollyanna here, I think there are some positives here. Look, I think the race is tied. Your data shows that. I think, Bernie, it's within the margin of error. You've shown some ways that the, the race could actually be tied under data. It's volatile, right? Things have been moving up and down. You mentioned the increased union support. Since press follows the choice, it's still a big issue out there. Headed to the game of inches, as Jeff and I, and from our decades of experience here, oh, yeah. and by inches, small groups of voters, right? You got to move these voters here on this issue. You got to move these voters here on that issue. I think there's some openings here. The, the better union numbers are encouraging. These are me. Biden needs to be put Governor Whitmer in some ads and take advantage of her popularity. And I have said that many times that uh, she could be his strongest advocate in Michigan. And the choice issue continues to resonate out there. We got Trump now saying, I would you know, ban abortion after 16 weeks nationally. I know you didn't pull on this, but we have the Alabama case now, which threatens the ability of millions and millions of people in this country to do surrogacy in order to have children and build a family. That's a reflection of this anti-choice effort out there. So again, I don't want to be a Pollyanna here. Biden and the Democrats have got a real challenge at the top of the ticket. But I think there is a path, but they got to get to work on it. They got to get to work on it in a variety of areas. I don't think there's no silver bullet here. No, it's, it has to be involved micro-targeting. Yep. And this is an issue that this group responds to. And you're right. As we found in the 2022 election, choice was a big issue. And other pollsters, many in Michigan will say, oh, no, it's going to be inflation in the economy. And that will just fade. Well, it never did fade. And indeed, uh, people went to the polls to vote on that. And there will be the ability of Democrats to point out the difference between Republicans and Democrats on, on choice. And Apart from choice, you had some good data. You just mentioned the economy. That people looking forward think the economy is going to improve. Again, it may not be a huge change, but I think every percentage point, every half of a percentage point in terms of that kind of improvement also helps Biden. Obviously, things could backslide in the next several months as well. There could be some new crisis, some new problem that hurts Biden. So I remain where I started here, very volatile, and either Trump or Biden can win here in Michigan, but there's a path for Biden, but he's got to get to work. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree wholeheartedly. And on some of these other issues, Bernie, I was really curious about the, the pharmacy board. That has been an issue that's been pushed by a number of legislative Democrats, the governor mentioned it in her speech last summer. Obviously, there's been a lot of pushback from the pharmaceutical industry and others on that. But why do you think that has such great appeal? And and how would you frame, if you were given advice, I'm going to put you on the spot, if you were given advice to like the legislative Democrats or even Biden on that issue, is that something that they can and should be using? How would you frame that? Anytime I see 56% saying that they'll be less likely uh, to uh, support their legislator, their own personal legislator, uh, either senator or uh, state representative, if in fact uh, uh, they oppose a pharmaceutical board, that tells me that they ought to specifically attack on that issue if it comes up and there is a vote. And it has passed the Senate, and uh, there will be push to try and put it up to a vote in the House, probably not until they fill those two seats. 
to provide uh, the votes uh, needed to to pass it in the House. But I would uh, put that on one on the top of my list among the issues that I would uh, go into attack mode on uh, with uh, Republicans because they had an opportunity to uh, reduce these incredibly high costs uh, where a board of experts can determine whether or not they're charging too much. And they were unwilling to do that. That's because they're in the hip pocket of the pharmaceutical companies. And they want them to continue to make exorbitant profits and and not save money for small businesses and save money for citizens like you. And I would get, go on the attack. How about to hop around on you, Bernie? You can't answer the questions I understand. Uh, do you have any sense of what may happen next Tuesday in the two primaries? You don't have any polling on that? or We, we have not because it is assumed, I think, that uh, Biden and Trump will, uh, will win uh, fairly solidly. Uh, and uh, the only question is on this uncommitted issue. And that is something that those who are pushing it should be careful what they wish for. Because indeed, if there is a holdover and there's voters who, that are uncommitted in this, and supposedly there's about 70,000 Arab American voters in the state. And if you end up with 15,000, 20,000 withholding their voters staying home in November, if it was as close as it was in 2016, where it was on 11,000 votes to win, that could be trouble for uh, Biden. And uh, that would probably be something where Arab Americans in Michigan could be blamed. Like Nader was blamed for losing the election in 2000 and allowing Bush to win over Gore and Florida. Right. And that could have an impact on them, which I think they should think carefully about. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how this uncommitted effort plays out. I've talked to people who said, look, I'm now going to go vote for Biden and because I'm opposed to this effort to do uncommitted. For every action, then there's a reaction. There is a lot of social media out there. I think that uncommitted piece may have some appeal to young people, as well as Arab American and Muslim. So I'm curious to see what the campus vote looks like next Tuesday as well. Yeah. And on, on that note, in our poll, all age groups except those 65 and older uh, are narrowly uh, voting for uh, uh, for Trump, where uh, uh, those 65 and older are voting for Biden. And again, by uh, pluralities, uh, there's not not a real strong uh, vote for either one of them. But he is losing among Biden is losing among younger voters, and some of the things he's doing are like erasing college student loan debt, which he just did recently. That will help, and uh, he should push on a number of issues where uh, I think uh, younger voters will be supportive of the Biden administration and Joe Biden, and they need to find those issues. And abortion may well be one of them. Because young voters... I'm a choice. They need to find those issues and then talk about them, right? And target those voters and make sure they know what Biden's doing on those issues. Yeah, and I think if Biden can be a little bit more strident in terms of his, his language and his messaging... I think that would be helpful because he's never seemed to come off as someone who's excited and angry, but I think that he could, and that would be much more effective and make him appear and sound more like Trump is sounding. And I think there is an appeal and there's only a four year difference between the two of them. And so a pinch of populism by the cooking analogy, hey, Bernie? Yes. Well, I can't believe uh, how quickly the, the time has gone. Bernie Porn, Epic MRA, thank you for joining us. Thank you for 
sharing your data, but more importantly, your expertise, your insight, your analysis. It's always a pleasure. We thank you for uh, sharing that with us, and we thank you for your continued and generous sponsorship of A Republic, if you can keep it. That's a wrap for this week's podcast. If you're listening before 8 p.m. on Tuesday, make sure you cast your vote for president and participate in any other local elections that might be occurring. Well, I suspect all listeners of this podcast who are eligible vote have already registered. You can even register to vote up to 8 p.m. on Tuesday at your local clerk's office. So get out there and vote. In the meantime, we'll be tracking the GoFundMe accounts for the My Pillow Guy, Rudy Giuliani, and the Sneaker Con as they figure out how to pay millions in court judgments. But, uh, but we aren't buying any ugly $399 golden sneakers or $99 smell like Trump cologne. If the Republic is still standing, Jeff and I will be back in a week. A Republic, If You Can Keep It, with Jeff Timmer and Mark Brewer, is a copyrighted production of Michigan Citizens for a Better Tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.